0: Hello everyone and welcome to a day in the life today i'm joined by Annalise Sinclair, who is a mental health speaker and she started off originally working in an academic setting working in student involvement offices, which is how I met her she worked at my college. And now she's gone on to start her own business as a mental health speaker and i'm super excited to catch up with her on that journey welcome Annalise thanks friend. So yeah, uh, let's start off with your career path so far, Um, just maybe talk about um, how you got to where you are now.
1: So I started out, like you said, working on college campuses. I had a really cool, exciting college experience, decided I wanted to help other people have the same experience. And so I specifically worked with fraternities and sororities, which as you can imagine is crazy and i did that for a few years working in student involvement greek life i did some orientation um, and after a while i started to burn out a little bit so i decided to uh, up the ante and i went to go work for a fraternity headquarters uh, so i have seen some stuff at this point point. Um, and a few years after that i decided i really wanted to invest in being a speaker i had been doing it at that point for four years. And so I made that my full-time job um, in 2019, I think. So like right before the pandemic hit, I decided to be a full-time speaker and um, have been doing that now full-time for going on close to two years. Wow, yeah, it's quite a transition, but it all
0: seems to fall into each other. So. You're now specifically um, focusing on mental
1: health. And so why that area? So I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was 19 years old. So my sophomore year of college, right at the beginning, I had been struggling for a few months. had gone to therapy and got this diagnosis and I was really ashamed. Um, I'm a perfectionist and there's such a stigma around mental illness. So I didn't talk about it. At all, I didn't tell my friends, I didn't tell my roommate, I didn't tell my parents, and I did that, you know, keeping it a secret until I had gone through grad school and gotten in my first job, which is when we met, and I realized I was telling students to be themselves and to be confident and believe in themselves, and here I am lying every day, and so I decided to start sharing my story. And it just kind of spiraled from there. Where by being vulnerable, people were run over with me. And I realized if I talk about my mental illness, it can help people seek help for their own challenges. And it was really important to me to be authentic every day and be real and share some of the hard stuff. And you know, when I think about uh, my experience, if I was that sophomore in college what would I have wanted to hear what did I need to hear when I was that age and so uh, that has become kind of my mission and the thing that lights my soul on fire oh that's so amazing and and um
0: I can definitely see that you you needed one of you like you needed you now when you were in college and when you were 19. Um, 100 percent yeah and and um so, and I can imagine as well that just keeping that so bottled up really weighed on your, your mental health. So has it, what's it felt like now that you've just, you've, you've spoken your truth?
1: The stigma is gone. And so I always kind of joke about the fact that people can ask me anything because I stand in, on stage in front of thousands of students. I had one audience that was 4,500 students and I reveal my deepest, darkest secret. And now that I've done that over and over and over and over, I don't feel shame anymore about having bipolar disorder. It has been so freeing to just be myself and be messy. For so long, I was so afraid for anyone to see any imperfection. Now I'm like, you know, some days I'm the hot mess express and that's okay.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's so important to see that from, especially like people who are on stage and you kind of idolize and look up to. Absolutely. <laughs> so you've kind of touched on this already, but what makes you so pas- passionate about working with college-age students?
1: So I believe that college students are in probably the most difficult time of their lives. Um, you know, being an adultier adult is hard, but when you're within the ages of 18 to 24, your brain is starting to get to the point where it's fully developed, but it's not totally there. Uh, the last part of your brain to develop is your prefrontal cortex. And that's the part of the brain that helps determine um, risk-taking. And so we're putting college students in high-risk situations and in a high-risk environment um, and there's oftentimes a lot of alcohol. Uh, they're being exposed to things that they've never seen before and we're telling their brain, hey, like make good choices. That's not necessarily happening for a lot of them. And so I think it's really important to have those touch points with them and let them know that it's okay to fall apart. You don't have to be perfect. Be yourself and take care of you. Um, and so that is what to this day, like I love college students and working with them because it, I feel like I can make the biggest impact.
0: Yeah, it definitely makes a lot of sense. So um, you, is there like a certain sort of background or experience that's required to do what you do now?
1: Yes and no. Um, I believe that anyone can get on a stage and talk. Uh, and once you get over stage right, it's easy. I have a background in higher education administration and specifically working with those college students. And so I had to learn student developmental theory and learn how college students figure out their identity, how their brains are developing, all of that. And beyond that, in my undergrad, I got degrees in anthropology and sociology as well. I love to study people. And having that background has made it really easy for me to create curriculum, essentially, because that's what a keynote is. I'm teaching um, to figure out the framework and the web so that it makes the biggest impact. And students can walk away from that and say, you know what, I learned something and I'm going to make a a change in my life.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And then you're speaking your story. So it's just kind of your background and and everything. So Mm -hmm. if somebody wants to translate that into another area, Um, I guess, what advice would you have for getting started?
1: Oof, I think the hardest thing for any speaker to do is to figure out what is your true message? Because you can be a great storyteller, but will people actually understand the lesson that they're trying to walk away from it with? I think of um, your fairy tales. So like Brothers Grimm and... The Little Mermaid and all of those, there's a lesson in those, and you have to be able to convey that message in a clear way so that people are, are yes, entertained. I say that like 20% of what I do is stand-up comedy. They're entertained, but they're getting that message, and they're walking away learning something. Yeah, and, and what do you do to get over stage fright? Whew. So I used to at, I have horrendous stage fright. Um, My chest would flush and get all splotchy. Um, The thing that I really like focused on is just being confident in my message. Uh, My dad has this saying uh, if you can't dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with uh, bullshit. And I, for a long time, I kind of relied on that until I realized. I wasn't doing anyone any favor favors by just trucking along, like stumbling along. You have to plan, you have to prepare, you have to be confident in your story. And that makes it easy to get over that stage, right? Because you believe in what you're doing and you know you're good. Yeah. Um, so
0: what do you think about those kind of expressions like fake it till you make it? Is that kind of what you, I don't know. What do you think about that?
1: So in some ways, I think fake it till you make it is great because you are practicing that behavior that you want to emulate. I think that so many people go through the motions of life and just fumble along almost. Um, It is so important for us to be intentional about where we want our lives to go because if not, you'll wake up and be... 60 years old and you realize you're never going to retire and you hate your life and you haven't accomplished anything that you wanted to accomplish. And so there's some intentionality that has to go into that, but practicing those behaviors, do it all day. I may not be a queen today, but I'm going to pretend like I am. Yeah.
0: Cause I I guess I, I run into some people who are just so, so discouraged that even like mustering, like a little kernel of confidence is just more than they can do at this one point. So I just kind of, I never know what to say to that. Do you have any thoughts?
1: Yeah. So I think a big part of that is uh TikTok culture or like the culture that it has come out of social media. And if you're not perfect, you're not enough. And I really focus on this idea of you are enough. You are good enough. You are smart enough. You are pretty enough to do whatever you want to do in that moment. And so I really focus on that phrase. Like if someone comes to me and it's like, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. Like it's, it's overwhelming. I'm like, you, you're enough right now. What you bring to the table is enough. So try
0: yeah, and that's like a pretty simple mantra somebody could just say to themselves or write on their their mirror or something. You you're enough. Like I think a lot of a lot of this is about positive thinking and and just really um, telling yourself until you believe it. You know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's so often we have that like little voice in the back of our heads that is like, no, you can't, you can't. Um, I want to bury that little voice, squash it, uh, so that you know you you can do it. And you even if you try and you fail, hopefully you've learned something from it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's all, all life. Even the bad experiences are experiences that you can learn from. Absolutely. So you started your business during the pandemic, pretty much, you said.
1: Um, could you talk a little more about that and how it's been? <laughs> 10 out of 10, do not recommend starting a business in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so... I did not anticipate or plan this whatsoever. Um, In December of 2020, uh, you know, icing on the cake of a disastrous year, I had a falling out with my agency and decided that our values no longer aligned and I needed to focus on my own message and taking care of my mental health, because, you know, that's, I I can't tell people to take care of your mental health and not do that myself. And so I decided, you know what, it's time to make that break. And it's time to start your own thing. Um, I remember the day that, you know, we had, it was almost like a breakup with my agency that I had been with my entire speaking career. Um, I came downstairs and I sat on the floor and I cried. And my husband came up to me and he's like, why are you crying? Just start your own business. You can do this. And I was like, oh yeah, like, no, I can, I can do this. And, um, I decided, you know what, we're going to have our own educational company. And three weeks later I decided, you know what, I also want to start an Etsy business and do some, uh, artist therapy work as well. Um, because I have all this free time now that I own and run my own business. Oh, cool. Um, I do want to get into that a little
0: bit more, but, um, could you just tell me a little bit more about the agency, like how
1: that worked a little bit more? Yeah. So when I was working at Presbyterian college, um, I had started a blog that talked about my experience living with bipolar disorder and, um, an agency owner saw that and gave me a call and was like, have you thought about speaking? and telling your story on a stage. And at that point, I hadn't. But talking to him a little bit more, I was like, you know what? I can reach more people than like being a speaker than just with my blog. And so I worked for or worked with an agency there, he represented me. So they would handle all of my contracts, all of kind of the backend stuff, making sure I got paid. Um, and if I went to a conference, they would have a booth that You know, it's the agency's booth, but I could hang out there and talk to people and they would do some of my marketing. And now that I've left the agency, I do that all myself. And so I get to negotiate my own contracts and, um, you know, create my own marketing materials, which is really fun. Um, It's something like I'm a, a creative person, I love designing stuff. And so I get to do all of the things that the agency was doing, but in my own way. Yeah.
0: With your personal brand and story and message. So how, what's that been like?
1: It has taught me that although I'm an incredibly creative person, sometimes I suck at follow through. <laughs> and so it has forced me to become so much more methodical and figuring out, okay, this is my to-do list. I need to follow up on this contract. I need to reach out to this person and be more competent in myself and how much i'm worth negotiating about money has been terrifying um because for me i would do this for free if i could 100 uh, like i will go to every college campus like i you don't have to pay me but it is a business you do have to make money you do have to you know cover your travel costs at the minimum and so it's been really hard for me to you know determine what am i worth and play around with that so that I can bring my message to people and be affordable but make sure that I'm not selling myself short literally. Yeah have you figured out some kind of formula for figuring that out? I have. Um, I had a really great conversation with a friend uh, who runs a business called College moxie and she does the same thing I do except for she is a confidence coach and I wanted to, kind of emulate some of her model in which she um, will have, uh, you know, larger schools that have bigger budgets, will work with them, maybe charge a little bit more so that it offsets the cost for a small school who can't really afford that, uh, this you know, multi-thousand dollar speaker. Um, and so having that kind of like sliding scale really helps um so that you can bring that message to more people
0: that's a really cool idea because I mean knowing from going to a small liberal arts college like
1: Presbyterian
0: college like and then going to grad I went to graduate school in Atlanta at Georgia Tech it was a huge difference I would not trade my liberal arts experience for the world but there were some things I just didn't know about or like opportunities I didn't hear about because it was such a small secluded school and I,
1: I that's a really cool way of doing that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. To bring, uh, I brought one speaker, um, one big speaker my entire time working at PC. And I think I had to get like 16 sponsors. Like people were throwing in like, we can do $50. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, this is a $1,500 speaker. So mm-hmm. we're going to make this work. I think I remember that. <laughs> yeah, that was cool.
0: Um, so what are some of your tips for staying organized? You said you you're creative, but you've had to really structure yourself. So what have you, what have you
1: been doing? So the biggest thing for me, and I know this is the silliest thing in the entire world. Make your bed. When you wake up in the morning, make your bed. Because I, if I don't make my bed, I'm like, I'm going to crawl back into bed. I'll take a quick nap. And then two o'clock rolls around and you're like, I've done nothing. I've done nothing today. I sat on my phone in my bed all morning.
0: Yeah. I, I've noticed that too in my life when I make my bed, it's kind of like this mental transition, like, okay, time to start the day.
1: <laughs> yes, like, I gotta put real pants on. Like this is, although I'm working from home, I do have to do things.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's a great one. Um, so yeah, maybe uh, talk a little bit more about your Etsy store. Um,
1: why'd you start that? So my Etsy is called the Bipolar Creative and it really kind of came from this you know, using art as therapy. I've always been a super creative person. If you see behind me, all of this back here is my own artwork. Um, I love to make things, and for me, it was a way to be centered, um, but also you know, if I was feeling uh, really depressed one day, or I'm struggling with racing thoughts another day, I can channel that into movement and activity and making something. And so having that kind of art as therapy helped me with my mental health. And I wanted to share it with others. And so it originally started selling an um, embroidery and cross stitch kits, but recently it has really, kind of moved over and I make a lot of stickers um, and people love those. And I never thought I could have a sticker business of all things, but having these messages about mental health in a sticker has been really helpful for a lot of people to have that reminder. Um, you know, I have one uh, colleague, another speaker who has a mental health matter sticker that I made on her laptop. So every time she gets on the computer, she remembers Mental health is important. I need to take care of me. And so that has kind of evolved and now I'm doing stickers and anxiety busting kits and cross stitch and embroidery and all of these things that I love doing. Now I get to share them with others.
0: Oh, that's so cool.
1: Um, I'm kind of curious just about like how like the
0: supplier side of that works. Like, so you work with like a sticker company and then when like, yeah, just
1: how does that work? I make them all myself. And so I have a um, fancy schmancy printer and I have sticker paper that I order from a company and I design all my own stickers. So it's art that I either draw on my um, iPad or that I'm uh, creating, um, pulling from different graphic design things. I print it on sticker paper, I laminate it, pop it in my Cricut, have it cut. And so every single sticker I sell, I have touched, I have made, every aspect of it. Ultra handmade. (laughs) Yes. yes.
0: For your embroidery kits and other things. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I make all of that myself. Um, I actually sell some of my own embroidery. So I do the the stitching. Um, And some of that is super labor intensive. It takes, you know, weeks to do. Um, But it's a form of art. It's a fiber art. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, So,
0: Okay, I have one more question and then we can talk a little bit more about life. So what would you say like a day in the life like for you?
1: I think the biggest thing is so many emails, Um, like every millennial ever, like emails. Um, I start my day the same exact way every single day. And I'm sorry, my AirPods just switched off. Um I start my day the same exact way every single day. I get a cup of coffee and either a bagel or a toaster strudel or something super easy. And I drink my coffee, eat my breakfast on my I have a, a guest bed upstairs um, with my dog. I do that every single morning. And then from there, um uh, it's either making stickers or putting together orders or Working on contracts, Um, I do that until I either do one of three things every afternoon. I either volunteer at the Humane Society. I volunteer at um, what is called the Nearly New Store. It is a resale store that supports women's advancement in my area. Or I am teaching Color Guard at a high school. And so my afternoons are filled with one of those three things before coming home and having dinner with my husband and uh, either playing video games or watching whatever this week's TV show is going to be. Yeah, super cool. So
0: yeah, my, the, like the question I had written down was like, what do you do outside of work to decompress? So it kind of sounds like you have like such a, a balanced day of, of a mix of things that you do.
1: <laughs> yeah, I get bored easily. <laughs> and so I try to intentionally put things in my day so then I have to leave the house at least once a day because even like with this pandemic even, being home all the time is really isolating. And I know for my mental health, I need people. And so even if it's just like running up to the coffee shop to make sure I have coffee, um, I always make sure that I leave my house. Um, you know, I'm really a big believer in being active so going to the gym, or I, you know, I am so lucky to have what, what's called the Swamp Rabbit Trail. Um, it's a trail that goes through um, Greenville, South Carolina, and I can either ride my bike, or go on a run, or walk my dog, and that's right, basically in my backyard. And so being able to have all these things to stay active as well is probably the biggest way I decompress. Yeah, I think getting
0: some air and some sun, all good things. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So speaking of your husband, how did y'all meet? This is my favorite story of all time. Um, So I met my husband on Tinder, um, which is so millennial. Like I met him on Tinder and our first date was the worst first date I have ever been on in my entire life um, we should not be together based on that first date. Um, we went to a pizza place and as you can imagine, just watching how I am, um, I'm an extrovert. My husband is the most introverted human being I've ever met in my entire life. Um, my mom probably has heard him say maybe a hundred words in the six years we've been together, seven years, we've been together for seven years. And so on this day, I ran out of things to talk about because he's so introverted. I have somewhat of a background in career counseling as well. So I started asking him questions like, what's your earliest childhood memory? And between the ages of four and six, who was your hero? These all gave me great insight into your psyche. And it was super creepy and super weird. And he should have never gone on a second date with me. He was probably like, this girl is nuts. Like he gave me a side hug at the end of the date. So awkward. Um, but he found me intriguing. We went on a second date. It was magical. And I told him after two weeks after I met him that I would marry him. And, and our wedding vows The very first thing he said was, you know, I thought you were crazy at the time, but look, we're, we're here, we're getting married. So, well, what made
0: you want to go on a second date with him? If it was
1: (laughs) the worst date you went on? He was so cute. (laughs) He was really cute. And, um, you know, he's probably the smartest human being I've ever met. Um, he can play basically any instrument he picks up minus drums. He cannot drum apparently. Um, and he's just so intriguing. And I think him being so introverted, I was like, oh, I have to learn more. I have to learn more. Um, and so I was smitten. Mystery man. (laughs) Yes. I was like, he can either be a serial killer or my soulmate. (laughs) It could go either way here. And then you knew pretty soon. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, we're getting married. I know we're getting married. <laughs> um, and then he, so we had met in August. That following August, he asked my dad if he could marry me, which is archaic, and I hate that, but whatever. Um, and then we got engaged in October and married the following October. So we were together for two full years before we got married. But two weeks then, I was like, I'm marrying you. You're mine. <laughs> it's.
0: That's so cool.
1: What's your favorite thing about being married now that you are married? I always have someone to work on my car for me. (laughs) Is it? No, there's, so I like, I love having my soulmate and I love always having someone around, but I drive the same car that I've had since I was 16 years old. So my truck is like 15 years old now. And as you can imagine, she's falling apart. And so it's great to have a husband who's like, oh, you're Bada de do sensor went out. I can replace that. Um, so that's been really nice.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what advice do you have
1: for making a marriage work? First, marry the right person. Um, you know, I'm 31, so I'm at the age now where I'm seeing a lot of my friends get divorces, which is hard um, within my own family, uh, I am one of, I think there's seven girls, uh, all my cousins and my husband and I are the only ones that have not gotten divorced, um, out of the girls. And so I think back on like when my cousins got married and like, I hated their husbands (laughs) and I should have spoken up. I should have said like, I don't think he's the right guy for you. And so part of it is marry the right person. The second part is, be willing to make compromises. You know, I would love to have a super like farmhouse, chic, vintage stuff everywhere else. My husband is mid-century modern and minimalist. So we compromise and now we have our super eclectic house, but it's both of ours.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I guess understanding that, You operate on very different frequencies, even though they still work, but they're
1: different. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, as an extrovert, I'm like, let's talk about things. As soon as he gets home, I'm like, I haven't talked to anyone all day. Let's talk. And he's like, go away.
0: I love you, but go away. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So one thing I was kind of interested in talking about, um, but it's pretty personal, but you're, you're pretty personal on your blog. And as you said, you, you get pretty personal about, about things. Um, you talked about on your blog, your struggles with infertility, which is just really brave. And, um, I don't know, like, why, why are you talking about that?
1: So I, I think all of us as teenagers, we were told, like, if you have sex, you will get pregnant. And, that's not necessarily always true. Like we are taught A plus B equals C, like that's how it works. For some people, fertility is like advanced trigonometry. Um, There's so many things that go into it, so many factors. And I had never heard anyone talk about it. So I had a miscarriage in December, November, December of 2019. And I didn't know a single person who had had a miscarriage whatsoever. And it was important to me to share that uh, because I hate the idea of people feeling alone because for so long I felt alone with my bipolar disorder. And so I decided I would share that I had a miscarriage. And once I did that, so many of my friends, so many very close women in my life um, told me, hey, like, I've had a miscarriage. This is way more common than you think. And after that, I realized like women, we have to support one another. We have to love one another, care about one another. And sometimes that means being vulnerable about some hard things. I hadn't known anyone who struggled with infertility. And so after we had our miscarriage, a few months after that, we hadn't gone pregnant again. we decided it was time to see a fertility specialist. And we learned that I have endometriosis and getting pregnant is going to be hard for us. And we've now done, um, I think we just did our seventh IUI. So intrauterine insemination and no one was talking about this. No one shared this information. And so I had to read on the internet and when you're reading on the internet, you see a lot of scary things. And so I really wanted to be a voice that had compassion um, that kind of cut through some of the the pseudoscience and that made women feel like they didn't have to be alone. So that's been really like the key piece for me about sharing my story. Um, although it's hard every single day to share that because that is something that is still very raw, um, I think it's so important for us to talk about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's... I imagine just extremely painful. But then by being so vulnerable, you found other people. Do
1: you feel like you found like a kind of a support community in that way? Absolutely. Um, after my miscarriage, a woman I hadn't spoken to in years, she's a sorority sister. She was the president of my sorority. I, oh, I looked up to her so much. She messaged me and was like, hey, what's your address? And the next day, Amazon brought me a, a two pound bag of chocolate. And I was like, I needed that. So thank you. Yeah, that's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. Like there's nothing chocolate can't fix, right? So,
0: <laughs> yeah. And just having someone, especially someone you look up to, just do something thoughtful like that. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned a few of your hobbies like uh, video games and, and cross stitching. I mean, that's your art. And um, you, Color Guard, um, like, uh, that's, I, I, was, I was just about to ask you a very broad question. So let's start, like, I'm really curious to know about, like, cross-stitching and whether or not you do that for fun still, or you feel like it's kind of become more like of a job because you have an Etsy store.
1: That's a both-and kind <laughs> of question. Uh, so. I have actually been cross stitching since i was 12 years old i went with my girl scout troop to the juliet gordon low house in savannah georgia which like it's the mecca for girl scouts mm-hmm. uh, have you been there i'm from savannah so yeah do so you know girl <laughs> yeah. um and i we did like a cross stitching exercise and i was like this is so cool and i have been doing that ever since And I got really into subversive cross-stitch as I got older. So um, cross-stitch is often embodied, like thought of as like an old lady thing. Like you're doing samplers or flowers and doves. And I'm like, no, let's do curse words and resist. Like smash the patriarchy. And so I got really into doing that. Um, And that branched into also doing embroidery. So embroidery is much more uh, freehand and artistic. There are some days where I'm like, I don't want to pick up a needle. I hate this. I'm tired of it. Um, So when that happens, I find a project that's small and funny that I like. Uh, So I'm binging the show Lucifer right now because new episodes drop soon. And uh, I decided to stitch one of my favorite quotes from that show uh, that happens to have a curse word in it. And... I was like, you know what? I do love stitching. This is funny. This is enjoyable. I love it. Um, So I find things that bring the joy back. But sometimes, yeah, I'm totally burnt out on it. And I don't want to do it anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was curious to know, like, how you find that balance then.
1: Yeah, I think one of the big things is I'm very picky on the commissions I take. So, um, you know, someone reaches out and is like, I want a, a Harry Potter, um, so-and-so with this and this, I'm like, I'm tired of doing Harry Potter. Yeah, I don't want to do that today. So I'll turn it down. Um, And I also price my time pretty, um, you know, I value my time. Time is the most important thing to me. And so if a piece is going to take me a few weeks, I'm going to price it as such. And I think that scares some people away from um, giving commissions So that's helped me kind of find that balance where I'm like, I get to be a little bit choosy here.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then you find you attract the clients you, I guess, will will value your work if they pay you. Yes. (laughs) Like
1: I'm so like, I don't want to go to a thrift store in 20 years or like go to Goodwill and see one of my pieces for like $2. So I make sure that if I'm doing a piece for someone, it'll be cherished um, and loved and hopefully become a family heirloom. Um, I would love for someone's grandchild to find some like cross-stitch that's, well, I have one up on my wall. That's a, a woman holding a rose and it says resist. I'm like, yes, that's a family heirloom right there. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I think it's kind of cool. You said you like to play video games. I didn't know that about you. I'm, I'm yeah. into
1: myself. What do you like to play? so I just finished, um, Zelda Skyward Sword. Um, I have a a switch, the the handheld one, and I like Zelda for me is probably like the Mecca. Like that is, because I've been playing Zelda video games since I was eight. Um, like the old school Nintendo DS type thing or Nintendo 64, excuse me. So Zelda, any of those, any Zelda game obsessed with, Um, I got into the Pokemon Go scene really early when that took off. I haven't played in a while. Um, but kind of along those same lines, I have the different Pokemon games. Um, I think I played every like Pokemon Silver, Gold, all of those when I was younger. Um, what else am I playing right now? Phoenix Rising is one I'm playing now. And, um, Spyro. Any of the ones that like are super nostalgic for me, I'm like, yes, like, my childhood again.
0: Yeah, yeah, I get that, totally, I love it. <laughs> oh,
1: and The Sims, like, yes. <laughs> my life might not be perfect, but my Sims, they are killing it.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Max it out.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm like, use that cheat code rosebud over and over Uh
0: uh I felt so high tech when I learned how to do the mod the sims thing (laughs) yes
1: my sister got really good at modding so I was just like hey Stephanie like can you hook me up
0: yeah yes that's perfect (laughs) and um I guess talking about like nostalgia or things you did when you were younger you were also um teaching color guard so that's something you did in high school right
1: yeah, so I did it in high school and I don't tell people this often because they look at me like I'm crazy. I actually chose the college that I went to for their color guard.
0: Yeah, when um, you're a kid, that's a big factor. I I was fancy. Yes. I so played clarinet.
1: <laughs> like clarinet and guard. You guys were always right behind us. Mm-hmm. Um, I did color guard in high school for three years, and then I chose to go to USF to do color guard therapies. They are Arguably one of the best in the nation, and I did winter guard with them as well for one year. And that year, we placed eighth in the world um, at WGI championships. And I love color guard because it's dance plus. Um, there's you can do what's called saber, which is essentially swords, rifles, spinning those, um, and as well as flags and I loved it. And I'm teaching these high schoolers how to do it. And it's so eye opening because I'm like, oh my God, I'm so old. But then I'm also like, but I can do this better than you. <laughs> um, and being around these high schoolers is, it taught me that, good Lord, I am getting old. Um, sometimes they say things and I'm like, I, I have no idea the words that just came out of your mouth. Um, but to see the joy that I can share with them. Uh, for example, I have one eighth grader on my team and I adore her. Uh, she is in the middle of school, but is allowed to come over to the high school and do color guard. And she is a natural on saber. And so I put her on my saber line. And when I told her I was putting her on the saber line, she was like fighting the smile. And you could just see this pure joy on her face to be put on the saber line. And I was like, no, I'm happy. Like, spread the joy. It was so great. Oh, that's amazing.
0: Um, so what does self-care mean to you?
1: I'm a really like, I'm probably one of the people who like take self-care in a totally different direction. Oftentimes when we think of self-care, we think of like bubble baths and scented candles and, you know, it, it's so much more than that. Because if you're sitting in that bubble bath thinking about all the things that you should be doing, you're not taking care of yourself. And so I really kind of switched the word self-care and I think of self-compassion. What can you do to be kind to you? Uh, for me, you know, I struggle really bad with these intrusive thoughts that say, you're not, you're not enough. Um, you uh, you know, You're not perfect. And so for me, Self-care is sitting down and going through like some of those meditations. Like I am healthy. I am happy. I am worthy. And being kind to me. Um, So many people go through their days, just going through the motions without taking time to sit there and reflect on how are they treating themselves and how are they approaching the world around them? And so when I think of self-care, I think of being kind to yourself, whether that means, yes, you do need to take a bubble bath and have that 20 minutes away from your kids or whatever, but using that time to really focus on you. Yeah. Having the bubble bath, but actually enjoying the bubble
0: bath and that. Yeah. I think you're right. Like, I think sometimes self-care can feel like like these check boxes, like, oh, I need to take a bubble bath because that's what self-care looks like or something like some kind of like idea of what it should be, but it's going to be different for
1: everyone. Yeah. And self-care doesn't have to be labor intensive, like find a two minutes in your day, two minutes in your day and, you know, go through a mantra or let yourself have, you know, that time to walk across campus or walk across your office and go say hi to your best friend or something like that. Like It can be these tiny moments. It doesn't have to be some long drawn out thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So last but most importantly, tell me about your pets. (laughs) So you might've heard many Uh, in the background. I have a a seven year old or six or seven year old uh, mutt that I adopted from the Humane Society, her name is Minnie, like Minnie Mouse, she came with the name, and she is a Boston Terrier mixed with a miniature Australian Shepherd, so very aptly called a Bossy, and she is the bossiest dog on the planet, and she is my child, and my sweet baby, and my soulmate, and I love this dog, Um, and then I have a cat named Addie that I have had since I was a freshman in college, who hates me, but loves my husband, which is really annoying. I'm like, we've been together for like 12 years and you're gonna choose him? Uh, He doesn't even like cats. He doesn't like having animals indoors. He's a farm boy and always had outdoor animals. And so does not like to share his space. Essentially my pets, they came with me. Um, Well, sort of. So Minnie, um, I met her at Presbyterian College. Um, My best friend, Liz, came into my office with this teeny tiny puppy. I was like, look at it. And I burst into tears and I was like, I need it. That's my dog. And so I called my boyfriend at the time. And I said, hey, like, I want your opinion on something. I'm probably not going to listen, but there's this dog. And he said, you know, go ahead and bring it home, but don't buy anything for it. And in my head, I'm thinking like, oh, he's going to try and talk me out of this he comes over to my apartment that night and has already bought everything uh, because he had planned on taking me for Christmas a month later to go adopt a dog together. Uh, that boyfriend is now my husband. And so we've had many ever since, I think it was, we'd been dating for like two months when I got many. So she has been a part of our relationship basically from the start.
0: That's so sweet.
1: <laughs> yeah. She is our, our. we call her our little poop. And you heard that correctly, poop. Um, she, like the very first week we had her, we had taken her on a walk, brought her upstairs. And my husband was like, she has something in her mouth. Her boyfriend at the time. Reaches in her mouth. And she had collected a piece of animal poop on our walk and had it in her mouth. And ever since then, we have called her little poop. Um, it's kind of like a pup poop. I don't know. And so at the Humane Society in Lawrence, South Carolina, there's actually a brick that we bought and donated that says, uh, poop is not for eating many. (laughs) And so it is forever immortalized at the Humane Society, this funny brick. That's really cute.
0: Well, it's been really fun talking to you today, uh, Annalise. Uh, How can people reach out to you if they'd like to um, follow up?
1: Yeah. So the best way to connect with me is actually via Instagram. Um, My Instagram handle, and I'll share this with you as well, is Annalise with six N's. So A-N-N-N-N-N-N-A-L-I-S-E. I've wanted to change it, but I feel like at this point, like six years after I got it, it's stuck. Um, Either that or via email. Um, And that is just my full name, Annalise M. Sinclair at gmail.com.
0: Great. Well, thanks again. This has been a really fun conversation and it was so much fun catching up with you.
1: Thank you for having me, Rachel. I am so excited to see what you do with this incredible podcast.
0: Thanks for watching. Be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss a single show. Interested in being on the show? Know someone that might be a good fit? Use the nomination form in the description.